2, Seven Heads, Ten Horns, with Klaus Yoder and Travis Stevens. Welcome back, friends, to Seven Heads, Ten Horns, the internet's only podcast, History of the Devil. I'm Klaus Yoder, and today I am endeavoring to finish the first series on Goethe's Faust. I say endeavor. I'm going to try my best. There's a lot to cover in this episode. I'm not going to get through all of it. And because I've been so like stressed about how to fit it all in, you'll notice that the audio quality sort of shifts at different moments because I was stealing away during my workday to record odds and bits as they occurred to me. And so this episode sort of does have more of a textual feel. They're all kind of like this in any way, but like it's sort of stitched together from different moments I took to record what I had to say about Faust. So the original version of Faust the Ur-Faust centers on the seduction narrative of Faust and Margareta or, or Gretchen. And as the play develops, that seduction tragedy becomes, I wouldn't say like, it's not decentered, but it has to share a bunch of room with like Faust's own arc, the Valpurgis knocked whole situation and it feels a little bit like glued together the different aspects of what isn't no longer really just a straightforward tragedy and what as I mentioned before gets identified more in the epic tradition so as I mentioned last time Faust goes to the witch's kitchen and gets this potion that's supposed to return him to a younger, stronger, hotter, more energized state. Pretty easy to see this as just Faust getting an aphrodisiac since Mephistopheles is like, oh, he's going to see the ideal Venus or Helena Troy in every woman he sees. So on the street, I guess of Wittenberg, Faust bumps into Margareta or, or Gretchen And he's immediately smitten. We see that Mephistopheles' words are totally on target. And he wants Mephistopheles to, like, help him obtain Gretchen's favors. And Mephistopheles is like, she's very innocent and pious. This is, like, not going to be easy. It's not going to go well. It's going to take a lot of time and energy. But he comes up with a scheme of leaving a box of jewelry in Gretchen's, like, closet or cabinet and sort of getting her attention that way and Gretchen's mother is suspicious of this gift rightly so and donates it to the church gets it out of the house donate you know and and we see even though I think this is supposed to be Wittenberg the piety is very much centered on the Virgin Mary and a kind of more traditional Latin centered Christian liturgy from the Western part of the former Roman Empire. And so Mephistopheles gets more jewelry, puts it in the closet. And so Margareta 
is a little bit astounded by this, a little bit curious. She, you know, she's, you know, she has an admirer, an admirer who breaks into her house. Like that's kind of creepy. And so she shows the jewelry to her neighbor, Marta. And Marta is like sort of an old adventurous. I don't know how to put it. She's, she's a little bit on, on the wild side. And she's like, you can wear it here. Your mother doesn't like it, but you can, you can be as pretty and as glam as you want to be here in my, my house. And then Mephistopheles knocks on the door and Martha's husband has been missing for, for years. And Mephistopheles is like, I got news for you. I knew the guy. He's dead. And she is glad to hear this because of some legal complications with the will. But she wants Mephistopheles to make sure that there's another witness who can attest for the details, who can corroborate the details of this story. And this is Mephistopheles' scheme to get Faust to have a tete-a-tete with Gretchen. So yeah, I'm recording this, different moments of the day, stealing moments, tucked away in a broom closet, just whispering into my phone about Goethe's Faust. So anyway, the garden meeting does take place and Marta is like all over Mephistopheles. Like she is, she's hitting on him hard. And it's funny because he's so, he's so like randy in his own way. And so like, so much of a uh, bon vivant. But he doesn't really, he's nice. He's a little bit taken aback at how hard she's going for him. And this is also when Faust and Gretchen get together and have, have a moment together. And Gretchen is just smitten with the newer, hotter, younger, potioned Faust. And they declare their love. One thing to note about the initial attempt to woo Gretchen is that it's the occasion for a running debate between Faust and Mephistopheles about the nature of love and the nature of the meaning of human existence and its finitude and eternity. Even as Faust is getting caught up in these sort of passionate romantic declarations of love in this high romantic fashion of eternal commitment and this sort of soul connection between these two people. Mephistopheles is always jabbing him with like, uh, this is like, this is about your, this is about your sex drive. This is about the potion. You are taking this way too seriously. You're falling right into my trap with the way you are blowing this affair out of proportion. And Faust is haunted by this in scenes like in the garden where the two pair off with their respective ladies and Mephistopheles is with Martha and Faust is with Gretchen. Faust is like on this point of this passionate embrace and celebration of their love. And this is the scene where Gretchen does the, takes the flower, the thing you see in all these Warner Brothers cartoons and like picks off the petals and it's like, he loves me, he loves me not, he loves me, he loves me not. She does that and then Faust is like, this love is eternal. I mean, he's, he can't even bring himself to say it. He's breaking down, he's like, he, he, he's, he's sort of waffling at the critical moment of proclaiming 
this ideal of romantic love that is more than just horniness. It involves a lot of horniness, but it's, it's supposed to be more something. There's got to be a, a moreness to it. And this pursuit of love is part of Faust's original quest to get at the thing in itself, at the, the deeper mysteries of the universe and the meaning of creation and the, the allness of everything. And to be told that, no, this is just an animal drive. This is, this is like a, the, the sort of the, some of the, the oldest parts of your brain functioning the way they need to to reproduce the species. And these are just, you're under the sway of these forces it, it's a little bit like the way Kant needs to justify the possibility of human freedom in something that can't be controlled by natural laws, that can't be preconditioned and determined by everything. And that's sort of like the debate that Faust is having with Mephistopheles. Mephistopheles is like, I'm not here to, you think I'm here to get you to something profound and deep, but like, I'm just trying to get you laid and then you're going to be in my debt, and you're going to be corrupted. And Faust has a, wants it to not be that, but he has a bad conscience about it. After Faust and Gretchen have come together and seem to be beginning a love affair, Mephistopheles bursts in and says, we have to, we have to be going. It's a little bit unclear to me why he is keeping up with this pretense of the the fact that they're they're supposed to be business partners and they have to keep on moving on and 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 all of that. But in any case, the next scene represents a waiting period before the love affair takes another step. It's the scene that's the, the in the woods and in the cave. Wald und Höhle. Wald und Höhle. Yeah. The woods and the cave. And in this scene, we have the return, at least as addressed, of the, the nature spirit that I talked about in the first episode of this sequence. This is the spirit that compared Faust to a worm and sort of brushed him off when Faust tried to enter into some kind of communion with him. Now Faust is contemplating the mountains and the stars and the forests and the moon and addressing the earth spirit and thanking the earth spirit for allowing Faust to gain access to the secrets and the mysteries of, of nature and to explore its splendor. There's some great lines here, just really tapping into some of my favorite aspects of romantic Literature, which is the engagement with nature, which is a new thing in a way in romantic literature. And I'm reading a translation here. He's he's addressing the earth spirit and thinking about his power and the mastery he feels over nature and the, the deeper knowledge he has of nature. And he says, in air and water and the silent wood, and when the storm in forests roars and grinds, the giant firs and falling neighbor boughs and neighbor trunks with crushing weight bear down and falling fill the hills with hollow thunders. There's this sense of being able to witness the, the spectacle of raw power rippling through 
natural phenomena. But then as he's reflecting on the beauty of these sorts of things and addressing the moon, the perfect moon before my gaze comes up with soothing light around me float from every precipice and thicket damp the silvery phantoms of the ages past and tempered the austere delight of thought. But he adds, he's been, he's thankful for these gifts, but then he adds, nothing can be perfect for human beings. So I'm enjoying this, these secret mysteries of the natural world. But with this ecstasy, which brings me nearer and nearer to the gods, you've also given me this, this person I need to trot around with, this, this accompanier, Nephistopheles, who, with whom I, can, I cannot do without. And though cold and scornful, he demeans me to myself. And with the breath of word transforms thy gifts, nature's gifts, to nothingness. Within my breast he fans a lawless fire, unwearied for that fair and lovely form. Thus in desire I hasten to enjoyment, and in enjoyment pine to feel desire. So even as Faust is caught up in the, in the sublimity of the natural world, he needs Mephistopheles to access these secrets, and Mephistopheles is the one who's sort of pressing him towards a riotous, very sexual, libidinal mode of expression and engagement in his life. Right at this moment, Mephistopheles pops up and is making fun of him. He's like, oh, like, look at you hanging out here in the middle of nowhere, like an owl perched in the dark forest in the middle of the night. Like, what are you? Like, you're, you're like drinking down, you're slurping up your nourishment from sodden moss and dripping stone like a toad. A fine way this thy time to fill. The doctor's in thy body still. Like, you're just acting like a weird, like, misanthropic intellectual professor again. Wasn't this whole point to get you out and to get you energized and the end the, the Sleepy Joe portion of your existence? Like, come on. And Faust is angry with Mephistopheles. He's like, you... You've given me all access to all this power and all these secrets, but you just want to corrupt me. And when they're debating, Mephistopheles is like, you're, you're wasting your time here. You seduce this woman. She's waiting for you. She's singing at the spinning wheel, fantasizing about being a little bird who can come and find you or, you know, get to some more like romantic, happy place. And you're here. You were this overflowing brook of passion and like, you know, the snow melted and flooded your springs and brooks and you poured all of that melted, heated desire into this woman's heart and she's struggling, suffering without you. And here 
and in the in the play the the video version he sort of like gestures towards faust's crotch he's like your spring's running low you know this sort of sexualized innuendo like you are you are losing your desire you you like can't get it up in this situation um but like the point is is that faust is faust is wavering before the culmination of their affair he's trying to balance out the riotous lusty libertine aspects of getting to the the real things in the world getting to the thing in itself with this more sublime meditation and Mephistopheles is like you are you are wavering you're going Prince Hamlet on me here you need to commit to what we set out to do and Faust is resentful of these suggestions it mocks the nobility of what he thought he was trying to accomplish by making this deal with Mephistopheles like he was going to get at something real about existence and Mephistopheles is like that's just you getting laid and that feels like a mockery that feels like cutting it all short or down to size and he, there's a kind of fatalism that creeps into Faust where he's like, okay, like I, he, he sort of continues with Mephistopheles' metaphor of the, the melting snow and imagines it as almost like an avalanche careening down a mountain and that Gretchen is the inhabitant of a small village or like cabin and that his passion and his desire and his plans are just going to be this elemental force that just blows her whole life away and the fatalism is like he starts to pathetically beg Themistopheles he's like you like you need to like I know it's going to happen it's too late I've seduced her we're both going to lose something morally by this whole situation can you just help me get this over fast and in the in the in the the play the 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 version I saw like he's like hanging on Mephistopheles' shoulder he's just like can we just can we just get this over with fast like he's really tormented by the situation he's gotten all of them into and even as he's sort of bemused by Faust's desperate need to be comforted Mephistopheles keeps mocking him he's like you thought you were so bad you thought that you had taken on this devilish the devilish qualities of a man of the world. And there's nothing so pathetic as to see a devil in despair. And I'll, I'll read the German because it's cool and it, it rhymes. Du bist doch sonst so ziemlich eingeteufelt. Nichts abgeschmacktest find ich auf der Welt als einen Teufel, der verzweifelt. So then in the garden, steps are being taken to consummate this affair. Faust finally goes to Gretchen and Marguerite, Gretchen, I don't know, whatever you want to call her. He's there and they're happy to see each other and they're very excited. And one thing is troubling Gretchen and she wants to know what is the status of Faust's religion. And Faust's like, oh, like, it's great. Like, it's so cool. Like, you know, you know. To each his own. It's it's totally cool. Everyone can do what they want, and I, you know, I think God's 
I think like the highest power is amazing or whatever. And Marguerite, Marguerite Gretchen, she's like, but what about like actually believing in stuff? And Faust is like, do I have to? And Gretchen's like, do you like, but don't you even just believe in God? And Faust starts like playing a kind of uh, philosophical game with her, theological game with her. He says, my darling, who shall dare I believe in God say? Or my darling, who shall dare I believe in God to say? Ask priest or sage the answer to declare and it will seem a mocking play, a sarcasm on the asker. And Faust goes into a kind of rant about the unknowability of God. So it does his own sort of half-assed cocktail party apophatic theology. He's like, you know, the all unfolding, the all upholding, like who, who can actually even believe in a being that is so vast and so powerful, like a, a being who is constitutive of the entire universe and powers everything and lies like draped in secrets and is incomprehensibly vast. And he says, and when thou in the feeling holy blessed art, call it then what thou wilt, call it bliss, heart, love, God. I have no name to give it. Feeling is all in all. The name is sound and smoke, obscuring heaven's clear glow. To say like, everyone can name this higher power, this higher feeling, what they will, you know, bliss, heart, love, God. I have no name to give it. It's funny that he doesn't call it love. I mean, that would be better for, in some ways, for his seduction scheme here. But he doesn't even want to equate it with love, which seems to be putting the love he has for Gretchen on a lower plane than, than this this higher power, or this mysterious thing. I also just want to do a quick sidebar here and say that the theology of Faust is variegated. We saw God the Father in the beginning, in the heavenly prologue, and we see this, this spirit of nature in the beginning who rejects Faust and who Faust now thinks that he's sort of in communion with in some level because of the powers afforded him by Mephistopheles. We'll also see images of the Virgin Mary and feminine, divine, idealized imagery too. This is all just to say, as a quick theological sidebar, that this isn't a monistic universe, or at least it doesn't seem to be from what we learn have learned so far. We have a nature spirit. We have the traditional God. We have Mephistopheles, who is is the devil or is a servant of the devil or according to some scholars isn't it isn't like a satanic demon at all but like a, a spirit of nature so when faust prevaricates or is evasive about his theology he's really speaking for the whole play but of course it's ironic because faust is like it's, it's an open question whether Faust is speaking for Goethe, something that's never safe to assume, or whether Faust is just full of bluster and bullshitting, or whether or, or it's somewhere between those two points. I don't know. But there is a variety and a, a, a pantheon of gods in the mix here. And I think that's something that's very different from what we've seen of the Faust stories to date. And she's like a little bit like, uh, she's like, if you squint, like that's kind of what theologians say. She says, 
To hear it thus, it may seem passable, and yet some hitch is in it there must be, for thou hast no Christianity. <laughs> and he's like, oh, come on, that's so, that's so so rude for you to just say that out loud. And she's like, she links it to, she's like, she kind of wants to blame Mephistopheles. She's like, whenever, I really don't trust this guy. Whenever he's around, I find like I can't even really love you. I can't pray to God. He just is this interrupting force. Faust is keen to change the sub- subject. He, he's a little bit amused at her annoyance with Mephistopheles. But of course, he also is deeply ambivalent, if not despising of Mephistopheles. But he's like, we kind of need all types to make the world go around here. I need this guy to like, you know, contemplate nature and seduce you and whatever. But I'm not going to say that out loud. And he changes the subject. He's like, well, when are we going to get to be together? Like, can't we go to your room tonight? And she's worried about her mother being awake. And Faust's like, hey, you know what? Like, I'm going to use these powers for my benefit here. Here's a potion that will make sure your mother is asleep. And that way, you know, with the help of this tranquilizer, we'll be able to uh, enjoy Cho's company more comfortably, if you catch my meaning. And she's like, oh, that seems like a good idea. <laughs> and they, they this, the scene ends. In the next scenes, we're led to believe that Gretchen is anxious about the possibility of being pregnant and suspects that she may be pregnant. So she's talking to an acquaintance at the, the, the town fountain and they're, and this other person, Elizabeth, is gossiping about someone they know in common who was a mistress, a paramour of another person and became pregnant. And Elizabeth is really condemning and really judgmental and says this woman deserves what she's going to get and deserves the humiliation and the hardship. And Gretchen's sort of taken aback about how the sort of the level of hatred in and and the sort of the gossipy, judgmental quality of of community life. But she she feels suddenly exposed and scared. In the next scene, she is in a niche in a wall of the of the, the city walls with an image of the the Mater Dolorosa or the the Virgin Mary, like spectating her son's awful death on the cross and Marguerite uh, addresses her and prays for her intercession basically to help her get through the challenges that she's foreseeing as being someone who's conceived out of wedlock with this seducer who seems to become in and out of the picture who is from a higher class bracket who is not reliable, but who like excites passion and is is like super obviously appealing to her, but she's becoming scared and she is like, starting to identify with or feel the need for the protection of the Virgin Mary. Things go from bad to worse. Her brother Valentine is a soldier. And he is suspecting that Faust and Gretchen are a couple, that she's his mistress. And he gets into, he, he comes across Faust and Mephistopheles on the street. They get into a brawl. And with the help of Mephistopheles, 
Faust stabs and kills Valentine. And the entire neighborhood descends on this bloody scene. And Valentine curses Gretchen and denounces her for being an adulteress and denounces her for her disloyalty to her family. I mean, he, he basically damns her. Make merry when the dance is going, but in some corner woe betide thee, among the beggars and cripples hide thee. And so, though even God forgive, on earth a damned existence live. So things are really stacking up fast against Gretchen. And at this point, when she is praying in the cathedral, we come to understand that the sleeping potion that Faust gave her did more than put her mother to sleep. It actually killed her. So Gretchen is now linked to the death of her mother and her brother. And in this scene in the cathedral, she's praying and there's an evil spirit there who is condemning her, who's reminding her of all the guilt that she's that she has brought upon herself, that she is damned, that she has no hope. And she's trying to argue back. She's trying to focus on her prayers. But the chorus in the cathedral is singing uh, the, the Days of Wrath section of the Mass. And the condemning power of, of God seems to be weighing heavily upon her. And this evil spirit is a kind of Hashatan reprise, a, an accuser, a slanderer, in this case, maybe a justified accuser. <laughs> and I find it really striking that the character, the evil spirit, who is in many ways like a very demonic presence, it's on. It's demonic in a kind of tra- like a classical sense or classical Christian sense of like. It's not totally clear if this is just a voice in her head. We see the demonic spirit, the evil spirit on stage, but like, it can be like the sense of like demons are these spirits who interfere with your thoughts, and this is like an idea going all the way back to monastic demonology that we talked about last year. And for me, what's really interesting is that this evil spirit is not just Mephistopheles. It's not the case that Mephistopheles pops up in the church and starts telling her about how screwed she really is. That's not really what he does. And I've seen some scholars compare Mephistopheles more to like being a kind of more neutral nature spirit, like a daimon in the, in the sort of Neoplatonist sense and not this satanic monster, even though we see him playing the role of Satan in the heavenly prologue. But the fact that this evil spirit is a distinct personage to me is, is, is suggestive or at least complicates Mephistopheles' own satanic allegiances. Or at least it shows the, the, the plurality of demonic forces at play, that there are different functions that need to be fulfilled.
so the next scenes are the Valpurgisnacht scenes. The Valpurgisnacht and the Valpurgisnacht Traum, or the dream of Valpurgisnacht. Valpurgisnacht is the night before St. Valpurga's Day. It's a saint day, a 9th century saint, a French abbess, who who was, among other things, used as a symbol against witchcraft and part of the traditions for this, this saint's day, which is May Day, so the Valpurgisnacht is, is April 30th, is the lighting of bonfires. And so it's sort of a local folk tradition going back to pagan antecedents to the Christianization of, of uh, Western Europe. Anyway, so this is set as an important witch's Sabbath here. And it's one of the most interesting and complicated parts of the Faust of Faust part one. I'm only going to touch on a few things. It's it sort of defies any kind of glancing or any kind of easy summary or or sort of readily being linked to the, the themes I'm thinking of with right now. So I'm going to sort of go pretty quickly through it. It has again, it continues the strain of really gorgeous nature poetry that I was talking about earlier in this episode with like the sort of the crashing spruce trees and firs and the and the and the gnarled rocks this is the the two characters faust and mephistopheles are at the brocken in the hearts mountains and this is where they start climbing upward and faust is sort of enlivened by this exercise and they're initially guided by a, a kind of will-o'-the-wisp or earlicht and faust is sort of his eye is caught by a strange light glimmering through the hollows a dreary light like that of dawn its exhalation tracks and follows the deepest gorgeous fate and wan and he's sort of being led up the mountain by this strange light and mephistopheles is like oh sir mammon you know another another sort of synonym for the devil has grandly lighted his palace for the festal night and so the light of the sort of higher reaches of the witch's Sabbath are beckoning Faust up the mountain. Interesting that they're undertaking this adventure instead of, say, I don't know, having Faust care for his lover as she's just endured the death of her brother uh, and the death of her mother. And one way to see the Valpurgisnacht sequence is to see it as this chance to indulge in more of the fleshly passions that is Mephistopheles' Mephistopheles' Ballywick as a way of keeping him away from Gretchen and guaranteeing her own tragic end, and by extension, I suppose, Faust's as well. And so there's a lot of sexualized imagery. There is this Dionysian sort of energy of about the whole celebration that sort of like has a pagan feel to it. There's also all kinds of complex political and cultural satires going on throughout that I'm not going to, not going to take us through. But one part I find interesting is a moment when seeing these sort of beautiful witches and seeing a lot of like witch sex, Faust thinks he sees Margaret. He thinks he sees Gretchen. 
you know, do you see her, Mephisto, alone and far, a girl most pale and fair? She falters on her way, scarce knowing, as if with fettered feet that stay her going. I must confess, it seems to me, as if my kindly Margaret were she. You get the sense of, like, Margaret is in trouble, that he sees her and he suddenly remembers who he is and what his responsibility should be. And Mephistopheles is like, let it be. All thence have evil drawn. It is a magic shape, a lifeless eidolon. Such to encounter is not good. Their blank set stare benumbs the human blood, and one is almost turned to stone. Medusa's tale to thee is known. So this specter of, of Gretchen, of Margaret, is categorized by Mephistopheles as a gorgon or, or, or Medusa. As, as a monster who's going to trap and kill Faust. And something eerie Faust notes about her is that there's a strange single scarlet band gleaming across her neck, no broader than a knife blade. And Mephistopheles is like, yes, that's, that's quite true, that that's where Perseus cut off her head. That's, she's, she's Medusa. And... Of course, like we shouldn't probably not trust Mephistopheles straight up. Like we're seeing also that this is an image of Gretchen in great danger. And this is being equated with monstrosity. Like the danger is being flipped and reversed so that the danger to Margaret is actually being turned into, via Mephistopheles' rhetoric, into a danger for Faust himself. So as the hangover of Walpurgis Nacht starts to set in a grim reality is facing faust as he starts to come back down to earth he becomes aware all at once that marguerite gretchen is in prison for murdering their child so the passage of time is a little funny like nine months went really fast and he's been away he's been living it up with the witches, with Mephistopheles, and he is extremely angry and wants to blame Mephistopheles. It's come to this, you treacherous, contemptible spirit. You concealed all of this from me. Stand just right there. Roll the devilish eyes wrathfully in your head. Stand and defy me with your intolerable presence. And he's he's really freaking out and just really just upset about how she's been victimized in this whole situation. And Mephistopheles is like sort of shrugs. He's like, well, she's not the first innocent person to whom something like this has happened. And Faust calls back to the beginning of their relationship. He's like dog, abominable monster, transform him, infinite spirit, transform the reptile again into his dog shape in which it pleased him often at night to scamper on before me, to roll himself at the feet of the unsuspecting wanderer, hang upon his shoulders when he fell, transform him again into his favorite likeness, that he may crawl upon his belly in the dust before me, that I may trample him, the outlawed, underfoot. And Mephistopheles is still just totally nonplussed about Faust's reaction. And he asks an important question. Like, you are berating me. Why do you enter into fellowship with us, you human beings, if you can't see it all the way through? You're, you want to fly, but you're made 
unsteady by dizziness. Something cool in German when Mephistopheles says this, he says, Willst du fliegen in best form schwindel nicht sicher? Schwindel, like swindle. It has the double sense of dizziness, but also like swindling. And I think that that's a great ambiguity in the, in the original version of the play. Did we thrust ourselves on you or you on us? And in the original, to be totally pedantic, Warum magst du Gemeinschaft mit uns? Drangen wir uns dir auf oder du dich uns? And that's the question. And it takes me back to the beginning with the moon scene in, from this episode where at first it seemed like the nature spirit had spurned Faust. And then Faust speaks as if the nature spirit, and say not the devil, has granted Faust the power to achieve his goals with the help of Mephistopheles. And that's like the sort of the fly in the ointment of the whole thing. And so Faust assumes that the earth spirit is the one who's going to turn, who could turn Mephistopheles back into the dog, who has a higher authority over him. He's addressing the earth spirit. He's not addressing, say, the devil. And I think that's that's significant. But doesn't Mephistopheles have a point? Like, Faust wanted to have all this power. And the way to have power was to be in communion with demons like him. Like, that's the way it works. Like, so what are you complaining to me about? Like, you're acting as if I went out of my way to entrap you. You sought me out. And that kind of goes back to the original Faust legend. You know, and and the bad deal. We keep bringing up the bad deal where who would sign up for giving their soul away for you know, I forget, 10, 20 years or whatever it is of, of, of the power that Faust had. It doesn't seem like a smart deal. And this is like a little bit more sophisticated and a little bit more detailed, but it's a similar point. Like, you, you signed up for this. Like, you didn't know what you were getting into. And of course, like, we also, you know, we see from Mephistopheles' aside throughout the play that he is trying to set up Faust. But you know, whether he means this in good faith or we should take it as being said in bad faith, there is a point being raised here that's significant. And Faust is like, well, I have power through you, right? Well, we're going to rescue her. We're breaking her out of jail. And Mephistopheles points to, again, another kind of spiritual entity at work here, it seems. He says, I cannot loosen the bonds of the Avenger. That there's a, there's a other kind of force of vengeance in play. And Faust is like, what the F are you talking about? And Mephistopheles is like, oh, you mortals, you would just, if, if you could, you would gain access to thunderbolts. You would crush the innocent just to get anything you want in your desperate situations. This is the tyrant fashion of relieving oneself in embarrassments. But he does do what he's told and he conveys Faust to the jail cell, the dungeon. Der Kerke. Before that, there's a funny little scene. And they're on their way, hence, and Faust sees something ominous around the Ravenstone. And it's these witches just sort of like sort of congregating and flying about. And 
it's a it's an ominous sign. It reminds me a little bit of of the witches, the sisters in Macbeth that you sort of like are on you're on way you're on your way to do something and you see you come across this posse of witches, this coven, and and uh, they don't engage them, but it's just it's just like sort of an odd scene that's very short that's sort of thrown in there. And we get to the dungeon, and Gretchen Margaret is not in a good way. The way it's sort of performed in the vision, the version I've been watching is she seems a bit to have had a psychotic break. She can't recognize Faust anymore. Some may see that as his like sort of love potion aphrodisiac has worn off that he, that, you know, she's seen through the, the effects of that. And it's striking that she is there for murdering her child. And as she, she like comes to and starts to recognize Faust, she's like, you can go save him. You could save the child. He's in the brook. Like he's, he's, he's struggling. His head wants to raise up. We can go get him. Like, it's like, it's just like, really disturbing moment in the earliest scenes of their their like courtship she mentions how she's already lost her younger sister who was in many ways like her child because she nursed the she nursed her younger sister she took care of her she died young and of course her mother has died her brother has died both of him both of whom fell through through faust and mephistopheles there's like this connect like there's this connection to loss and to the loss of loved ones that says that that sort of it's almost as if she's repeating the pattern i've just been reading tony morrison's beloved for for class that i've been teaching and in tony morrison's beloved setha kills tries to kills her one daughter and tries to kill the rest of her children to keep them from being sent back to the plantation sweet home. And I'm not sure if this is sort of in some ways similar to that in the sense of like being being this murdering mother as a way of actually having power in a, in, in, a, in a whole like, you know, set of scenes in which Gretchen has basically been sort of the dupe or passive victims who Faust schemes like like the Mater Dolorosa is just sort of there to like gaze and wail at what's happening and doesn't have a lot of agency. Well, like this is a place where she took some power into her own hands, but it's like also still reenacting this dreadful pattern. Was killing the child also just a way of a kind of re- recognition of the falseness of the entire relationship that produced this child that there was something she couldn't affirm and radically chose not to affirm. It's, it's not totally clear. And I think there's lots of ways to make sense of it. Of course, in any case, Faust is like, we're going to get you out. I'm going to free you. And it's almost like a, in a, a mockery because Gretchen's like, Oh, well, kiss me, kiss me. And he's not super passionately aroused to do that. And she can sense that he, that she's, even though he feels duty bound and guilty to free her, like there, the love is not there. At least that's what she seems to see. 
when Mephistopheles pops up and he's like, okay, let's get her out. Let's go. We don't have any more time. They're going to come, whether it's like the sort of spiritual supernatural Avengers or just the guards or some combination thereof, they're coming. We need to go now. And she loses it when she sees him. And she's like, nope, I'm staying here. I'm giving myself up to God. Fuck you both. I never want to see you again. And Mephistopheles just has to pull Faust away. And, just, you know, interesting, again, maybe sort of an argument for Mephistopheles as like nature spirit versus demon. He's like the force of like practical self-preservation and preservation of his master. He's like, no, we got to go. Like this is, this is effed. We got to go. In the original version, the Urfaust, or at least the older version, the first draft, if you will, Mephistopheles yells out when Gretchen refuses to come with him, sie ist gerichtet. She is judged. She is condemned. And that's how the play ends in the Urfaust version with Gretchen being the victim of this tragical unfolding of events and blunted characters and and, and this kind of thing. In the, the Faust 1, the later version... Mephistopheles still says that, sie ist gerichtet, but a sort of a voice from heaven answers, sie ist gerettet. She is, she is rescued. She is saved. And so that sort of connects back to her, possibly to her appeals to the Mater Dolorosa, the Virgin Mary. It, you know, links to her piety and her anxious questioning of Faust about his religion. She is quite pious and she throws herself on the mercy of God in this critical moment and refuses to refuses to compromise and take a chance on escape. So that's the end of Faust 1. It's a strange like sort of jumbled together set of stories and episodes. It ends with or it arguably ends with this contest or struggle for Gretchen's salvation. And so would seem to be centering Gretchen's story as like the main story. This interpretation, however, is belied by the fact that her final words and the final words of the play are her calling out after him Faust's own name, Heinrich, Heinrich. So it ends with a turning back towards her concern for Faust. Like she's the one who's about to get executed and about to die, but he's again being turned to as the object of our curiosity, our pity, all of our attention. In different moments throughout, like it seems like part of the tragedy is the state of Faust's character, whether he's going to give in to despair, whether he's just going to go numb, whether he's going to kill himself, whether he's going to go party hard and contemplate the stars and, and do science. We're left with Faust still having to like live his life pulled away at the last moment and Gretchen presumably about to be executed. And as she's waiting for the fall of like the hangman's or the, the sort of the executioner's axe, again, linking back to the Medusa imagery of the severed head. It's not just you know, the bullshit about Perseus and Medusa, it's, that was premonition of the peril of, 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 of Margaret or, or Gretchen in that scene. 
And of course, part of what gets her, and this sort of like kind of brings the two strands of tragedies together, part of what puts her into position to be so vulnerable and to be so desperate is Faust's absence and his questing after the the riotous, naughty, red core of existence through sex and partying and hanging out with the witches on, on the Brocken and stuff and Valpurgisnacht. That is a part of the story and that is like the Mephistophelian like temptation in the will for knowledge and experience and truth. And we saw that all laid out in the, the, the uh, Wald und Hülle sequence, the, the, the soliloquy that, that Faust addresses to the nature spirit while con- contemplating the moon and, and the wilderness and everything. And so his recognition of that dynamic and his inability to get out of it leads to Gretchen's seduction, leads to his long absences and indulgences and sets her up for peril and for precarity. So I'm going to leave off with it there. There's been some interesting themes about how this relates to the demonology of the sort of previous sagas we've covered. But I'm going to keep it capped at this point for right now. We have great new material coming our way. A new series on Dante's Inferno that we're looking to put out there with great excitement and trepidation and maybe a little help. And I'm going to continue with the Faust sequence and get into Faust 2 and all the weirdness that dwells therein. But in the meantime, really appreciate you listening. Hope everyone's holidays are cheerful and heartening. And thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. This pod is made possible by support from the Satanic Ward, Asmodeus, Mammon, Leviathan, Beelzebub, and listeners like you. Thank you.